writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the right pack. In this episode, the right pack is going to explore the importance of word choice and why it affects what we're writing. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host and producer, David Allen Lucas, currently working on his first draft of that novel that he is in competition with his wife to complete. And by the way, even though I've done nothing for a while, I'm further ahead. Just <laughs> ahead. Okay, okay. Shots fired, y'all. But, 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 and just just to keep this fun, but writing Kathleen the check for Gateway Con was finally the end of the administrative work to close off 2018 Gateway Con, which I've been doing for the last three weeks. I'm so happy I could help. Yeah, I am too. Myself. No, but all in truth, in truth, I've got chapter one of 92 done. Oh my gosh. I know, it's a huge thing. Um, And it was pulling teeth out of the turnip. So, we'll see how this goes. Slow and steady wins the race, Daddy. That's what I'm determined. Um, However, it's a... It is an interesting universe that I'm writing in. So, with that said, um, I do, before I toss this over to my lovely co-host, I am going to say to all those who listen to Right Pack Radio, besides, of course, please um, like us on Facebook, please subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to, and please um, leave us comments as well as reviews, especially in iTunes. I am going to say this. Coming soon, in fall, there is going to be another show added to Winding Trail Media's um, podcast list. I will not go into details because my host of that show is not in the, in the panel room at this time. It will be coming. I will say this. The show will start in the fall of 2018. The... Um, show will be easily accessed on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio under Right Pack Radio, so you don't have to worry, go anywhere. And by the way, it goes in for TuneIn and all the other platforms that are out there. If you follow on YouTube, it is going to be on the Winding Trails Media um, website. I'm sorry, the YouTube website. And it will have a separate playlist, which will be by its title. And no, I am purposely holding back that title. At this point in time. Just building in. So stay tuned for more information as it comes. And now, throwing the football over to my lovely co-host. And by the way, I prefer European football over American. So I'm actually guess kicking this ball over to her. Awesome. I dodge. You dodge. <laughs> Yay. Good job. I was never I good at football slash American soccer. They've tried so hard, but my, my foot-eye coordination is, is nothing. Um, hi, I'm Kathleen Kayembe. I am a speculative fiction writer. I have uh, stories in Nightmare and Lightspeed magazines, and um, 
in uh, Jonathan Strahan's uh, edited. Uh, oh my goodness, I am not feeling well. Can you tell? She she's um, out of it today. I, I am. I I was I was overheated. I was outside too much. I understand that I'm black, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm not all. All cylinders not firing. But the great news is it's August, which means I went to ReaderCon in July and found out whether or not I won a Shirley Jackson Award for my novelette. Um, well, unfortunately, suspense. <laughs> I, I'm still living in suspense, <laughs> so uh, I'm sorry, but eventually we'll all find out. <laughs> Heart. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she gets. That's what we get for recording in the past. No, this is actually July. We're recording in. Oh, I also write romance under the pen name Kaseka and Vita. And by the way, the um, anthology of your short story is in is nominated for the what? Oh, um, so okay. So I have a, an essay in the um, Hugo nominated anthology um, Luminescent Threads Connections to Octavia Butler, Octavia E. Butler. Yay! Yay. I'm, lo- I'm loving. I like to pull out the jur in an anthology that's got a nebula, or that is nominated for a nebula. That Hugo. is Hugo. Yes. Hugo. I'm sorry. Still same, same level of awesomeness. And also with us today is Hi. our soon to be force ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I will force ghost myself in. Um, <laughs> Hi, I'm Chanel Chan. Um, I write speculative fiction. I like. I write literary fiction when I'm feeling angsty, um, and I, at this point in the future, that is now the past of the future, um, I will have left St. Louis for New Orleans, but have not started my MFA program yet. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're going with. Cool beans. State it with confidence and I'll believe you. Yeah. Because it's already true. <laughs> And also with me is the woman who... Is, oh, by the way, you did get a Gateway Con. Sorry, going back to Chanel. You did get a what request? Oh, somebody wants to read my stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, somebody... <laughs> a, 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 a agent? That's four agents now. That's four agents now that yes. want to read your novel. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel like I should have pom poms here because I had to cheer you ladies on I'm to get the word out there. Pom poms, that's gonna happen. <laughs> but yeah, novel. It's it's still in the works. Still um, vomiting it out onto paper and cleaning it up. So cool. we're working on it. And also with me today is my lady in competition for getting this first draft done. Yes. Um, and she is well ahead. She really is. I expect mm-hmm. her to win, to be honest. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm Millie Lucas. I'm actually giving him every opportunity to win because I am trying to uh, organize moving some things to get a piece of property on the market this week. So, Ooh. yeah, I have gotten nothing done writing <laughs> recently. But, uh, yes, uh, when I get back to it, I will be working on my first draft of a fantasy novel. Yep. And yes, I am more than one chapter in. <laughs> Yay! And what's weird for me is I've plotted my novel. No, I do not true. have 92 chapters. I have something on the order of, I believe it's 13 or 14 <laughs> chapters, and I have like six or seven of them done. So, mm. yeah. Oh, Lars, knowing Jeez. how many chapters there are. Goodness. Yes, what can I it's say? called plotting. Yeah. I tried to do it without a plot. It really what, didn't what work. plotting of what you say? Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, I bit the bullet so because what I'm writing requires a plot. It requires me to actually write Don't say that in front plot. of Fedora. 
I know. She, <laughs> she, she's I in shock because she does more plotting traditionally than I have ever done. So. Oh, I doubt that. Very <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. It just comes out like that. Yes. No, she's... Sedora so, is the only mystery writing pantser I've ever met. Yes. <laughs> and on that note, the lady herself of mayhem and murder that's part of the right back. <laughs> I'm Fedora Amos. I write Victorian whodunits like Jack Thrifter in St. Louis and Mayhem at Buffalo Bill's Wild West. And coming from Five Star in 2019 is Have Your Ticket Punched by Frank James. And I'm also president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime. Excellent. And also with us today is the woman who Michelangelo wishes he could have had coffee with and discussed his drawings and how to draw. He would have. Uh, he would have been a character. I would have enjoyed that. I think he would have dominated conversation. Probably, you know, <laughs> but you know, I, I just, I, I'm still working on the Renaissance female <laughs> artist, and so I just think this would be easier. I'll do some research for you at some point when I remember to do it. <laughs> Go for it. Who and who are you? Uh, my name is Jennifer Solzer. I'm a children's book author and illustrator. My, my YA fantasy novel Threadcaster is currently available on Amazon and signed copies through Main Street Books in St. Charles. Uh, it is August now, so um, I wanted to alert people to some August events. Yeah, yeah, in September. Uh, the, uh, our, our Chanel will be down in New Orleans now, Woo-hoo! but uh, I will be down in New Orleans soon as well. I'll be down Woo-hoo! for the weekend of the, uh, the 11th and the 12th. Is that a weekend? Oh, gosh, I should have my calendar. Uh, yeah, right. um, sure. Yeah. Uh, it's a weekend some year. Yeah. Some year. Well, anyway. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to be down, yeah, the 11th and the 12th, and my plan is to have a book signing while I'm down there. If I can find a venue who will host me, and none of them are answering my phone calls, it's called The Big Easy. For a reason, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they um, want you to think. <laughs> but, uh, so if you are interested in meeting me down there, then keep an eye out on my social streams and find out where and when that will be, because I don't know yet, because they're not answering my phone calls. If you own a bookstore, please call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it'll be a little late now. Please call her back. Call uh, well, it's really quickly. It's August 5th. Um, and also, if you're in the New Orleans area uh, on Thursday, that would, since this is airing on the 5th, Right. Uh-huh. This coming Thursday, which is the ninth, uh, you should check out um, Wonderlands with the uh, Suzuku Seven Future Knots and Gigi Edgley, and they'll be playing uh, a call. I, I believe it's a free concert um, in a, at a, the local nerd bar that I should have the name of, but I don't have. Um, but Wonderlands is the name of that. Also coming up later in uh, August seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth is the St. Louis Pop Culture Con. It's like a $25 ticket at the door. Come down. I'm sharing a table with Jessica Matthews and George Soroy. And if you come and visit us on the 18th, you better say happy birthday because it's my birthday. There you go. So I'll be chilling on my birthday. And as a fantastic gift to me, you can come say hello. And buy her book. And buy my book. Hopefully I'll have something new to share then. Buy the book of a number five author in St. Louis of... What was that? Children's literature? It's, was uh, it's top five readers' choice. readers' choice children's writers for 2018. Thank you. See, I said before, I've got to pull this out of you guys. As of uh, it is attributed by the St. Louis Post Dispatch. It just it's so specific. Yes, it's like you are number five of readers selected 
2018 Children's Writers in St. Louis by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. <laughs> it's an accolade that's buried under like seven layers of qualifiers. There you go. Still, I got it out of you. It is, it is accolades nice. Accolades Accolades right. accolades. And with that, going over to the Prince of Publicity, can I have the man, in, who, man who's from Hannibal himself? Oh, it's true. I'm not a native, but I, I do live there. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Ryan P. Freeman, and I write fantasy. Uh, <laughs> I'm also founder of the Animal Writers Guild. Um, and uh, a couple of indie books out. You can find them all on my website, ryanpfreeman.com. Uh, and also, uh, uh, her recent, uh, as of us talking right now, recording, uh, GamewayCon, I um, was able to get more agent. So, so yeah. Congrats. Congrats. congratulations on your agent. Yay. So uh, it's Patty Crothers with Metamorphosis Literary Agency. So we're working on getting uh, my next book, Nameless, uh, prepped to get sent out to the publishing world. Nice. Yes, excellent. That's super sweet. She's a good one. Yes. And also with us today is the Admiral of Sky Pirates himself. Yes. Uh, I am Brad R. Cook. Uh, I am currently in my editing cave making a bunch of things that will be coming out in the future, so uh, I will defer you just to go over to bradrcook.com and check it all out. Excellent. Today we're going to talk about word choice and why word choice is important. Now I know everybody listening to us, usually all of you are writers, be it newbies or even, even well-published authors out there listening to us. And you're like, oh, we know everything about word choice. What is there to talk about word choice? Well, word choice is the difference between something that could be a horror or a romance, a mystery or a fantasy. It can tell you the difference between the setting of winter or the setting of the heat of summer, especially if you're here in St. Louis. Um, so why the, why is word choice, why, why is that... So important, besides being able to give you an idea of the setting. Yes, right over to my co-host. Well, isn't Mark Twain the one that said uh, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between uh, lightning and a lightning bug? Indeed. Yeah. He did. Yeah. It is, it is very it's true. Mark Twain. Yes. It is Mark Twain. <laughs> the Hannibal one would know. Yeah. Uh, well, he's lying on like every other corner here. <laughs> Jen, Jennifer you know, knows. I was. I was visiting Hannibal uh, in real time uh, just uh, on Friday, right. and uh, I got to paint, uh, I got to whitewash a fence on the way. Yeah, we even got to paint our fences. <laughs> so, Jen, Melanie, Fedora. Jen. Uh, word choice is uh, important because word choice, we live in a, we have a fantastic gift that is communication. And we have a horrible curse that is the English language. <laughs> uh, because it is so huge, which also makes it wonderful. Because we have words which will express absolutely anything we want to express. And with a connotation and a denotation included, you can pick one really strong word and tell an entire story versus a paragraph of generic, not quite right words. So word choice is essential, especially if you're writing shorter manuscripts, but also if you want to write a well-crafted, poetic, literary-sounding manuscript. So that's why I think word choice is important. That's, 
You your um, it's funny. Your comment actually dovetails my comment dovetails with yours that I was going to say anyway. Perfect. Yeah, when I was either in high school or possibly even in junior high, so this is going back fairly far for me. Mm -hmm. So pardon me, but I was um, helping edit a girl's essay for class, and she wasn't all that much younger than me. But English was her second language. Now, she spoke English perfectly. Mm -hmm. So much so that me not being great with accents didn't detect the accent. Mm -hmm. But English was her second language. And English was her parents' second language. She was writing an essay. I forget exactly what it was about. It might have been fiction. Mm -hmm. It might have been an essay. Point is, she was describing something very old. And she chose the word archaic. Ah. She did not want the word archaic. <laughs> she wanted the word ancient. Ah. I'm afraid I cannot remember the entire sentence or the entire paragraph. But the point is, if you look up in the dictionary, those two words have very similar definitions. Now, if you describe something as archaic or describe something as ancient, what are those two things you think about? Very different. <laughs> well, something being archaic sort of imbues it with a... Uh, a cultural sort of supernatural, like an esoteric. Yeah, almost. like yeah. it's got another level to it than just saying that a thing is ancient. And ancient is pretty much much just describing how old it is. Well, and it, to, it, to me, back then, I was also thinking of archaic as simplistic. Mm. But that might be a region, regional definition connotation, <laughs> no. <laughs> which no. is another thing. Well, it's suggestive. Out of use. Suggest that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was just thinking it's out of use. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so or. Not but it's a perfectly word. valid word that mm -hmm. means what she meant it to mean, but connotative-wise, it... So frankly, it was vaguely insulting, and she wasn't trying to be insulting at all in context. <laughs> Which is another good reason to choose your words well, yeah. because you might accidentally offend someone. Uh, or, yeah, you might... Oh, yeah, I think it was even something about her family heritage, something. So she was, yeah, insulting grandparents, whatever. So like, eh, no, oh, not what she meant. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, um, well, that that lightning, lightning bug quote is especially apt when it comes to the length of whatever the work is that you're writing. Um, when you're writing a novel, you have more space to go into things. But when you're writing something like poetry or a song or a short story, like every word has to count. Every word has to be precise. And there is far less wiggle room, there is far less space for a reader to forget that, you know, maybe that word wasn't quite what you wanted be because every word is extra important and sticks out. And just real quick also, I was, I'm going to go myself, Ryan, and Jen. Um, one is keep the, keep, when you're working your first draft, keep the thesaurus hidden somewhere. <laughs> Unless you're like me and you need that to look up how to actually spell a word. Uh, but... Yeah, don't don't try to sound over smart with your language at first, but also too remember what you're writing has to be with the setting. So let me use an example. In the current story I'm working on, which is Shattered, I'm oh, sorry, Splintered Eye. Um, it makes my skin crawl. I know. Right? <laughs> I did that on purpose. It, it, the choice of the name choice is actually very was important, but it opens up with my main character caught. Waking up from being knocked out by a drug in a room that's on fire, and I've got and I have to be very careful because I think of when I'm talking about a person coming out of a drugged condition like that. I think of them as drowning inside of that 
rather than, I got you, instead of just waking up and they're having to climb back to the surface. But let's say drowning, and I'm talking about a fire, gives two different connotations. So not solved yet, but I'm conscious of that word choice right now in there. Go for it, Jen. Uh, before we get too far away from your the title of your book and the fact that it gives me the willies, um, <laughs> I wanted to point out the fact that it gives me the willies. Uh, combining splintered and I, uh-huh. uh, it's sort of like the, the Kuleshov effect of word choice, where putting placing them next to each other gives them even more impact. Just like the Kuleshov effect in film, putting two, edit, two clips next to each other creates a greater impact than the two clips uh, solo. The idea of an eye splintering fills me with emotions and uh, goosebumps and a little bit of, like, get it away from me. Not in the novel sense, but that's the emotion that you want to come out of your novel when someone inter- you introduce yourself. You know, this is my novel, The Splintered Eye, and they say, oh, that sounds like something I want to know about, and then they pick it up because they already have a sense of what's inside of it. And this is why word choice is very important and why titles are very important. Yes. So, Over Kathleen, I've still got Ryan and Fedora. I used to read all the Star Wars Extended mm-hmm. Universe books, um, and there were many. <laughs> I remember very few titles, but one title that I have been unable to forget, even though I've forgotten whether or not I actually read this one, <laughs> was Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Uh-huh. Like, ah, yes. I, I love that title, and like... A good title makes you want to know more. It, it, it gives you, like you said, an emotional response. Mm-hmm. And, like, the juxtaposition of certain words together can be fascinating and wonderful. Like, I, I've been watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the first time. And the way that um, that TV show asks a question in one scene and then cuts to a new scene that immediately answers that question has been fascinating to me. Like, just from a writing perspective, it, it asks questions and then answers them, and it uses juxtaposition to do it. So um, you do that with word choice as well. And uh, a title is probably the smallest amount of real estate you have to communicate a story. <laughs> you really do. Ryan, Unless Fedora. you're in Fallout Boy. <laughs> uh, or I don't know. They've, they've gotten away from naming titles full sentences, <laughs> thankfully, because I still don't know what songs have what titles for the first Panic album. I don't. Right. Ryan, Fedora, Fedora Brad. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I've found that's been a really good compass for me that I've really, I really noticed now and right now is July... Uh, I'm doing Camp NaNoWriMo. Uh, I'm staying on, on par so far, so I'm doing good. Um, but I, I've noticed that when I started using adverbs, when I started using adjectives, um, I'm not I, I'm not using the right words. And yeah, there's exceptions, but but generally speaking, um, I, I I've learned to pay attention to that. So once I'm done um, my first draft, and I just start working through it in, in edit mode, um, I'm going to look for those. And I'm going to find, I mean, preferably either a word or, you know, maybe at max two or even phrase um, so that my writing is crisp and clear. And I, I don't need extra words because I found the right one, um, which helps me a little bit uh, and also communicate really well. Because um, I found that I can ramble if I let myself. Uh, so being able to really hone in on the word choice. Uh, helps make for a good story. Okay, you got to tie in there. Define terms. What is Camp NaNoWriMo? 
Oh, Camp Nanaremo uh, is extension of the National Novel Writing Month, uh, which is um, traditionally in November because uh, it's the National Novel Writing Month. Um, but there is a big organization. It's full of wonderful people, and it's worldwide, and uh, they they help you uh, uh, write write a book in a month. I think the goal is the minimum is typically like. 50,000 words, I think? Yeah, 50,000. 50K. Yeah. 50K. Um, but this is like their, their summer their summer thing. So, so uh, it, they have groups they can put you in. They're, the writing sprints I've found are so helpful. Uh, that's where you, you team up with people and say, okay, 10 minutes, how many how many words can you write? I mean, 10 minutes, go. Um, yeah, it's cool. been awesome. Is it still 50,000 words over the summer? Or you pick your own limit. Mm-hmm. I picked my own. Um, because I'm, I write fantasy, and I, I learned that right now, uh, publishers looking for like a seventy-five thousand word kind of ish level. So that was my goal. So a little bit more. I, I want to push myself. Over to Fedora, then to Brad. One thing I think we need to remember when we're talking about words is that language is a living, breathing organism kind yes. of thing. It changes, and so we can often get ourselves into trouble. Just today, I wrote a rant on the word fulsome. <laughs> you can find my rant at <laughs> S-T-L-S-I-N-C, that's St. Louis Sync, blogspot.com. And you can find several of them now. I'm up to a dozen. But the word wow. fulsome once meant what you think it means, that it means there's plenty of it, right? Mm-hmm. That it's abundant. But then it became much more common to use it in a sense of overabundance, too much of anything, and so it really then became an insult because we're talking now about greed and we're talking about excessive everything. So, since today it can mean either one, what the heck's a person to do, except give another sentence which explains what you meant, but then you've got an extra sentence in there that really gets nowhere. So my my advice on the word fulsome is not to use it at all, but just go ahead with your example or whatever you were going to do instead of it, because you're guaranteed to cause people to stop reading and think about it. And this is the last thing you want to do when you want to be smooth and clear. So, there are some words which maybe at least for now, until it all sorts itself out and we find out what the current meaning is, and it's a single meaning, mm-hmm. then it might be better just not to use it at all. Never will happen. And, and by the way, just want to point out too, word. I'm going to go the opposite direction, where a word was an insult and now it's something that's accepted in everyday use as something, hey, that's great. Um, and that is, and everybody around the right pack probably know what word I'm going to throw out there. Yeah. So I'm going to point out history changes the word. So I will let Brad and Fedora talk about historical choice of words and where to use that if they want to. But my favorite word, not favorite word, is dude. Today that means guy, person, whatever. Hey, how you doing, dude? Hey, thanks, dude, whatever. Go back to the early part of the 20th century into the late part of the 19th century where you get the term dude ranch. And dude came from, referred to somebody who was not used to sitting on a saddle for long periods of time because they would develop dudes, 
which are pimples on your butt. <laughs> so I always look at that word as an insult because I know its original meaning. Jen and then, oh, I, I got Kathleen dude. coming at me like it's she's got dude. a sword. It's about dude. Go for it. So, so dude was a dude, was, was a male person, a person of the male persuasion to me until I watched an episode of All That. Keenan sang was it was an episode of all that or was it the 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 movie Keenan Cal movie anyway he sang this song he's a dude and he said I'm a dude he's a dude she's a dude dude. we're We're all dudes dudes. hey so so after that dude became gender neutral to me (laughs) it was hilarious as you sing that I'm hearing them saying I'm a pimple that person's butt pimple that person's butt pimple too yay moving on Jen I have one final example of a word that changes meaning. This is the one that changes meaning immediately. In uh, British slang, the word chuffs, chuffed. Uh, So chuffed both means very pleased with and quite displeased with. (laughs) (laughs) At the exact same time. Well, you could say the same thing about bad, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. Because bad can be very good or it can be bad. Sick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and Brad, who's been patiently waiting. Sorry, go for it. Well, the whole bad thing is slang, and slang gets you into a whole other, uh, you know, bed of craziness. But anyway, uh, in terms of word choice, what I wanted to point out is that uh, another thing to remember is that your readership is important when choosing a word. Uh, I write for kids. I write uh, middle grade and YA, which means uh, I will never use a word like fulsome, because uh, most likely no one has any clue what that is, so... Uh, more than likely, I would just say that it is uh, abundant, or, you know, or use a term that's going to have more, and even abundance a little high on the reader scale there. Uh, but there are great level appropriate words now. And uh, where can you because find of those, that, Brad? We, uh, you know, it, it might behoove you to choose certain words. Brad, you had a question come at you, and then Jen and then I, myself, I've got, we've got dovetails. Go for it. Where do you find those uh, age appropriate words, Brad? Uh, you can find them online, actually. So if you go online, you can uh, Google the old, uh, you know, like, what is appropriate for either age group. If you're writing for a middle grader, uh, you're going to want to be looking at your 10 to 12 uh, years old. Sometimes they break it out. Mostly they break it out by grade level, though. So you're looking at, like, your third to fifth. Jen? And then I've got a dovetail, too. Uh, an example of picking word for... Um Aiming toward your your audience, I wanted to parrot an anecdote by Jody Feldman, who was the keynote speaker at GatewayCon this year. Uh, she gave the anecdote that for her her books, her very popular books, the Golly Whopper games, she had her protagonists or and she had her characters uh, call someone an oaf, as an O A F, and that her adult uh, critique people came back and said, "Children don't use the word oaf. You shouldn't put that in your novel." And she's like, okay. And then she went to a middle school and she said, how many of you have used or read or know the word oaf? And most of them raised their hand. So you can, you know, follow the, the list, but also make sure that you get a, a kid, you know, someone in your age range to check over your language as well, because they'll know better than any list on the internet. Survey your readers if you can. <laughs> Brian, I'm well, you should be keeping up on yeah. also all the media they're saturated with. So yeah. your then uh, lexicon is similar to their lexicon. Ryan, I'm going to be nice and let you jump ahead of me, but then I'm, I need to dovetail back in. So go mm-hmm. for it. Oh, thanks. Um, 
recently I started rereading uh, uh, one of C.S. Lewis's nonfiction books, and I remembered again why why I enjoyed reading him so much, and that's because he he takes simple words and blows my mind with them. <laughs> like they don't have they don't you know even especially when you're reading like something that's theological or maybe philosophical. Um, you don't have to have crazy words to really have power behind it. Right. Um, even if it's fiction or it's nonfiction, whatever it is, like the guy is, just, for me anyways, he's brilliant. Um, and he, he takes, he takes these strings of simple words, uh, and, and he consistently blows my mind. And I feel like as a writer, he is one of my, my, um, my, my inspirations to be like, uh, and, and how he's able to take simple words and really effectively. Along with that, I'm kind of, actually in a way you dovetail. You you opened the door for me on my dovetail. Um, I don't care what grade you write for. If you're writing for adults, if you're writing for middle grade, and so forth. The we as writers have got huge vocabularies. That's just it. It comes. It's part of what we are. But Apparently, the average reader in your genre has probably a different reading level than you. And that's not an insult. Please know your audience. Know your readers. And how to know what your reading level is of what you've written. If you're using Microsoft Word, there's something called the Fletchman Kincaid, I believe, is the right title. I, I call it the FK. That's why I've forgotten the full name. <laughs> Um, if you go into your options, you'll find it under um, spell and grammar check. It will give you your readability statistics. I know this exists, and the reason I do is anything that you write for the government, especially if it's for Medicare or Medicaid, most especially Medicaid, has to be at a certain reading level. And it is, excuse my language, a bitch to get anything medical down to that reading level. But this is a great way to find out what your reading level is of your manuscript. So you run that through, it will give you a number point number. The first number is the grade level. The second number is basically an idea of where inside that grade level it is. It's always like, for example, 8.7 gives you an idea that's somewhere in the second half of eighth grade uh, of a reading level. And that'll help you to pick your words carefully so exactly. it fits within the limit you need. Exactly. But so if you've written a YA, <laughs> heck, if you've written an adult novel and your reading level comes back as 14, <laughs> you might have a problem with your word choice. Go for it. Just like to point out, this has to do with the complexity of your sentences, nothing to do about your interest level. Right. Beloved, which is a college-level text, which should not be given to middle schoolers, tested out at about a second grade level. Yeah. So, just <laughs> understandability, but does go to to word choice, but it's yeah. not straight to the words. Around seventh grade. Yeah, go for it. Something <laughs> else to be aware of, and to be very careful with, is the issue of words that seem like and often get confused with one another. <laughs> oh, Take, yes. for example, decimate, which is confused often with devastate or mm. perhaps demolish, because what many people use it to mean incorrectly is demolish mm -hmm. or get rid of entirely, while decimate 
comes from the ancient Roman issue of generals who would have every tenth man punished, perhaps killed. Usually killed. <laughs> in order to suggest to the rest of them that if any one of their group is a coward, they all are. And so they become very responsible for one another in this kind of very brutal, I agree, <laughs> but effective way of running an army. Yep. So to decimate is to take away one-tenth of whatever it is you're talking about. Yep. While many people mean it or think they mean it, means devastate or demolish. So be careful of those kinds of things. They can get you into a lot of trouble. Uh, Jen and then Kathleen. An example I've run into in my actual career um, I was talking with someone consulting about a piece of artwork, and it was of a snowstorm, and the main character, uh, the, the, uh, the object, you know, the, the only real discernible thing in the image was a silhouette of someone in the corner, and the snow was coming in between them. And my, uh, the editor who was looking at it said, uh, I, want, I want that figure completely obliterated. I want them totally obliterated. <laughs> and I'm like... Do you mean obscured? That's a real violent response. Because it means that you've reduced it to meaty chunks. And I don't think that's the goal. Uh, and editor did not appreciate me pointing that out. I love it. Kathleen, <laughs> you had a dovetail. Uh, I was just going to say, the, the root of the word decimate is deca, which is ten. Yeah. So um, it, it's for one-tenth. Yep. So you know, if, you're, if you're a nerd like me, that, that might help you not mean... Not say decimate intending for desolate. Yeah. And I could really talk for a couple hours just on that history of that word, but I'm not. We're not. This is yeah, not an episode choice. of the word Roman choice. Empire, a <laughs> Roman Republic. This is an episode on word choice. Um. So, with that said, English as well as any language that's currently being spoken anywhere in the world is pretty much a living language. I say pretty much because I have a feeling there are certain languages that are disappearing that may eventually be considered dead languages, like Latin is, um, that will not change, but still. Brad, uh, did you have something? I thought, nope, never mind. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you. Go ahead. This has been touched on, but, you know, slang is very often the way, eventually, what was once slang makes it into our standard yes. Eng uh, English language, like OK started out as slang, I believe. But one of the problems that creates is words change over time. Mm -hmm. So especially, and also there's less today than it was a generation ago even because of mass communication, but words have different meanings per region. When I was growing up, a soda means any type of of uh, oh, Pepsi product, Coke product, that type of thing. Nope. Basically, a carbonated beverage. Nope. You ask for, I asked for a soda in Canada, got something without any sugar in it. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> without any sweetener yeah, at all. That's a whole other soda pop. I, I don't know if you want to step on soda pop. Yeah. Well, actually, 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 this, is, this is great conversation yeah. because if you're writing about a region, you need to know what they call it. Yeah. I mean, Missouri itself, the state of Missouri, you go to St. Louis. You ask for a soda of some kind. Yes. You know, I want to, and you can say, "Hey, what are your sodas today?" And they'll tell you Pepsi products, Coke products, whatever. Mm -hmm. You go to the other side of the state, to the western side. You go to Kansas City, and they call it pop. I got one better. When yeah. when I would visit my grandparents in the heart of Kentucky, 
you would go to the, you would go to the, you know, it's a TGI Fridays, and it's like, what do you want? You said, I want a Coke. Yep. And she goes, okay, which kind? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it is a Coke. It's like, I want a Coke. Which kind? Sprite. Okay, I'll bring it to you. Yeah. <laughs> I, want Thank you. I, I want a Coke. What do you want? Pepsi Zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Brad, I'm coming to you. You'll be next. So it's not. So it's the next and bandit. It's a proper name. We are calling it. Hold on. We're calling it Coke. Now, I know I'm going to address probably the 1% of you out there who will write about a deaf character. But understand, there is no universal sign language. In America, I know this because I grew up with a best friend who is deaf and been really heavily exposed. Every area in the United States itself with American Sign Language has colloquialisms. Um, the word asshole, yes, I've used a second bad word on this show. It's R-rated now. It's R-rated. Has a universal word. I'll let you look this up. Um, as to what that, how that hand sign goes, or the sign word goes. But if you are to do it here in St. Louis, you put your meaty part of your hand to your ear as you make a fist and put your thumb out like you're doing a hitchhiking, but the thumb's going horizontal to you. That is the St. Louis version of it. So know your culture that you're writing about and know which includes your region. Go for it, Jen. Dovetail, then I'll well, if we're going to take sign language as sort of our working example, oh, that's language just an example. in general, yeah. uh, my mother's a sign language interpreter, and I remembered when she was learning, she gave my sister and I each name signs. I'm like, well, how do people know what the name signs are? You just made them up. She said, oh, we make up you know, signs all the time. So I, that's it's the same way with spoken English. We don't recognize it because we're used to saying things. Mm-hmm. Um but when, as a little kid, being introduced to sign language, oh, we just make up that word, and it means you. Like, oh my gosh, my little mind's blown. <laughs> and I wanted to also uh, highlight an episode of Star Trek TNG, when Picard went down to a planet, and the entire the entire language was references to their own culture. <laughs> yes. yes. And then he had to learn yeah. to, what's the name of I tried to remember, something and something... At, as a wall, at the wall, or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. They were like the translators were working. They uh-huh. were saying words, but they didn't mean anything to Picard because he was hearing the words and they were hearing the meaning of the group of words together, the phrases. So he had to learn about their culture in order to be able to speak their language, even though they were using the same words on the program. Ooh. Brad. I'm sorry, I can't get that uh, Star Trek episode out of my head. Now. <laughs> no, I, 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 the, the names are on the tip of my tongue. I just can't get it I out. I can't do it. Something either. and Joel... Nah, go ahead. Go for it, Brad. Yeah, I'm not even going to try. YouTube <laughs> that. Have fun. YouTube uh, So what I was going to bring up is that, um, you know, we've been talking about words changing over time, and that is true. And yes, the original meaning of the word is true, and has a, it does have an original meaning, and that is great. But guess what? If you're writing a contemporary book, nobody cares because the meaning of the word has changed and use the meaning of the current word. Uh, fun words like surfing. Uh, we use surfing now to t- almost entirely describe the internet, what you do on the internet. Uh, if you were to stick to that truth word, then you're literally talking about going out into the water, hanging on a board. Um, so things like decimate. Uh, you know, to be honest, uh, because of video gaming, uh, decimate has become a huge term to mean mass carnage. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean one-tenthing anything. So you can call it devastation, you can call it whatever, but the reality is 
is that in a lot of video games, it's decimation. And it's, you know, it's the, that means that you have destroyed the enemy outright. Um, so words do change the time. You got to kind of keep up with some of that meaning. Uh, and yeah, that, that Jordan, would you like to do a rebuttal? <laughs> I'll rebut for her. And if you were writing a story about gamers, then that use of decimate is correct. Mm-hmm. But if you were writing a story about historical, uh, historically aware, like professors or someone who has uh, a passion for uh, for like Roman culture or whatever, they or would not use decimate that way because they would know how Better. they use it. So mm-hmm. that's a way to choose your word properly. Even if you're using it, quote-unquote, incorrectly, you're not using it incorrectly for that user because you're writing that user's experience. A great example. Uh, so I, uh, the story that I'm writing right now, uh, the, word, the, the use of the word goop. Goop. Ah. Goop, which should mean some sort of gooey substance that is nasty and disgusting. But 100 years ago, it meant an idiot. Uh, and somebody who's stupid and something that is stupid. So... You know, if, if I were to use the word as it is intended in today's day, where it is some sort of goopish product, you, uh, yeah. you know, some sort of gelatinous goo, uh, you know, that would not make sense in my book because at that time, so it's, you do have to be aware of the historical, the current, you know, words change. You have to use them as they are in the story in which you're telling Okay, Melanie's dovetailed, or you guys all dovetailed, or just, okay, dovetail, and then over to Jen, then Fedora. Okay, I was just saying that, especially when you're writing something where you're using a word that's appropriate to either historical or your setting that's different than what the majority, or at least a sizable people of your audience is going to interpret it, it's important to put context clues. Namely, if you use goop in such a way that it's obvious you're referring to the intelligence of a person, based on the context of it. For instance, the Star Trek novels that might have been mentioned before. I expanded my vocabulary a good deal by reading Star Trek novels. Mm. There was a words I don't know necessarily, but I could figure out about what they meant based on the words around them. Yep, the context. The context. And so if you're historical fiction, if you want to use people saying things accurate to the time, like calling people that use typing machines, typewriters, Instead of calling them typists, you can do that, but you better do it in such a context that it's obvious you're referring to a person, not a machine. Okay, um, Jen, Fedora, Ryan, and then back to Kathleen. I wanted to bring the, this point of our conversation back to uh, reader comprehension, that all the rules stated by my fellows are all true and should all be honored, but also remember your audience. The, the biggest sin you can commit as a, a writer is to uh, baffle and mm-hmm. to confuse your reader. Yep. So you can pick a proper, like, I've read so many stories where, you know, they go to old-timey land and then they all start talking in the, the Google search slang of the time and you have no idea what they're talking about, but you're expected to know what you're talking about. Uh, the context clues that Melanie mentioned is absolutely essential because even though it is temporarily correct, it doesn't. It's not serving the story because I don't understand anymore. That that to, to sum up that rule, then I'm going over to Fedora next. Then we've got Kat, uh, Ryan, Kathleen, and Brad. That that rule in a nutshell is when you kick your kick your reader out of the story to read the dictionary, you've done something wrong. Mm. Go for it. Let me say this. 
If a word doesn't mean anything, then it doesn't mean anything. And where are we as writers? We are nowhere. That's why you have to have some degree of discipline. Take a look at this one, for example, which is one of my pet peeves. <laughs> Drastic and dramatic. <laughs> this I heard on public radio, okay, which is one of my favorites. I absolutely love it. But they said recent rains throughout the Midwest have drastically improved the drought situation on the Mississippi River. Well, hello. Drastic is always bad. It's about violence. It's about being shattering. It's about being awful. And what they meant to say, or should have said, is recent rains throughout the Midwest have dramatically improved the drought situation. Because you can't drastically improve anything at all. <laughs> so words have to have meaning, or what the hell are we doing writing anything? Just to let you know, Fedora is very much in a drastic state <laughs> with with modern I'm in an animated state. Let's use it right Okay, word. I'll go with that. Word choice is key. Word communication is, is important. Ryan, mm -hmm. Kathleen, Brad. Oh, kind of along with what Brad said earlier about uh, poop. Uh, everyone has poop now. <laughs> uh, so recently I was talking with my, uh, my indie book cover illustrator, Laura Fracci. She's awesome. She's out of uh, Milan, Italy. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll go back and forth. And we'll, she'll use, like, light, light Italian, you know, that she assumes that me as a dumb American that I probably know. And she said, Prego. And I was like, <laughs> because the word Prego is slang in American English means something very different than what she was saying. And so I explained it to her, you know, that uh, uh, Prego uh, here does not mean you're welcome. Uh, and it's slang for somebody who's pregnant. And, uh, and she's like, oh, really? Um, and so um, it kind of, I don't know, I think it goes back to like like reading wide, wide, widely and uh, trying to experience other cultures as you can because uh, sometimes innocuous words, innocuous slang in, in one in one country means something completely different than another. Big time. Okay, we, we're only got about another less than 10 minutes. Yeah, just another thing. Uh, just don't refer to something in Australia as a fanny pack. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> okay, going over to Kathleen. Wait, no, Brad. I don't want to hear this. What? <laughs> okay, not? go no. for it. Uh, I guess no. you, open, you opened up the can of worms. Go for it. <laughs> then I'm going okay, to a Kathleen. fanny, in, instead of being slang for someone's backside... Is slang for a man's uh, front and a woman's front in Britain. Ah. so you know. There you go. So over to Kathleen to follow up on that one, and then Brad, then Chanel. Well, it, it kind of does have to do with sex anyway. So, um, so Melanie earlier was talking about how um, like term the meanings of terms change, and um, and. David was mentioning that, like, a term in one place doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as the same term in a different place. Um, but I wanted to talk a bit about reclaimed terms because um, I'm, a, I'm a Black American, and the term for a Black American has changed, like, within the past 50 years. It has changed many times, in fact. Um, what is socially acceptable has changed as Black Americans have been like, you don't get to name us, we name ourselves. And that is true for a lot of different minority groups. Um, I am also a queer person, and uh, queer people in the generation before mine do not like that word. It is a derogatory word to them. But, like, people in my generation have been lucky enough that they've already done a whole lot of groundwork, so we're just like, we're claiming that one. We're reclaiming that one. We are queer. That's it. So, like, just within 
a single group, a single demographic. A word can be a slur or it can be a mark of pride, depending on which generation you're from. That's and also good. who's using it. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. That's not every... Oh, look, so I'm going to go ahead and hijack this thread right yeah, here. So go not ahead. Every, <laughs> I may have said Not you every word is for everybody. <laughs> and, yep. and that is one thing that I, I feel applies across cultures, across languages. Just because Joe Blow down the street <laughs> likes to call himself XYZ, that doesn't mean you get to call Joe Blow XYZ. Mm-hmm. That does not how that works. Your characters don't need. If your character is not of a demographic in which they should be using that word, don't have them use that word. Like I, I like to to describe it this way. Like because because there's the N word for black people, and people feel differently who are black about that word. But like a black person is allowed to use that because it is about their demographic. Whereas people who are not black do not get to use that word. And somebody was like, but I don't understand why I can't use that word. And I was like, well, ma'am, if I called myself your wife, how would you feel? I don't get to call myself your wife. That is not a thing that I get to be. And I feel like it's in some ways similar. We don't all get to use words for other people. Like we can't all claim all words that we necessarily want. She was nice. I didn't necessarily want to be her wife, but I can't introduce myself to other people as her wife. <laughs> Just because you can say something doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's not a term that belongs to me, so I don't get to use it. But, uh, Brad, I know you had something. Um, and I was going to hold I feel like, actually, because so. I feel strongly about, actually, that uh, certain words, especially that word, are not... Uh, and I don't understand why it's so hard for white people, let's say. I just hold on. To I not need, use words. I just need everybody to know up front, Brad is a white person. He can say <laughs> do not get I, mad at us. He speaks for his own demographic right now. I do. No comments from y'all. Right. Before Brad jumps, I'm gonna go ahead, unless you know you're gonna continue. Um to I was just gonna go ahead and yeah, keep on steamrolling. Okay, let me let me throw out just a very quick and hilarious example of what Kathleen just talked about. Mm. There's an old movie, 1990s. I can't believe I just used the word old with that. Um, Jackie Chan. Dude, it's old. Yeah. It's Jackie Chan. Old. I can't think who's. Are you talking Rush Hour? Yes. Rush Hour movie has a great example of what Kathleen just did. What Kathleen just described. So with that, go out, rent it, see it, go for it. I saw that now number TV and they dubbed over Negro versus what he said in the Mm -hmm. theaters. And it was years before I figured out what was supposed to have been said. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth the watch, guys. Uh, Classic. You say that the wrong people at the wrong time, stuff's going to happen. But what I was going to say is, in turn, and we're running out of time. We are. Keep going. In terms of using words and using the correct words, I feel like there is something to be said or a conversation that needs to be had about culture and words and writing your own culture in a way that is authentic to your culture while still being mindful of your audience. And I feel like that's a struggle that a lot of people who are not, quote unquote, mainstream American culture deal with that is not really talked about. Like, and I, I'm, I'm kind of putting Kathleen on the spot here, but there are some things that like, um, some Congolese things that 
she would know mm-hmm. that she may want to communicate to her reader that the reader doesn't really necessarily have the cultural background to understand or, or to relate to. Yeah. And I'm going to and, throw out an example. I know Kathleen, I want you to talk about that, but I'm just going to throw out an example that's less specific than Congolese. And this author is a well-known, well-published mystery author. He's clearly not from America, though his stories take place in America. Lee Child. He calls what we call race issues, he calls them ethnic issues. That's uh, what they use over there. Please go ahead, Kathleen. Sorry, I wanted to throw it out before it gets lost. Go for it. So, um, this is slowly changing as people in America realize that other people exist who are not white men. Because that's who are... Com- that- Sorry, like I heard a great example like... America as, like, what is America's business statement and who does America, um, who is America built to protect and, and uh, promote? And uh, it's still doing the whole white man thing. So, so honestly, America has not really changed a lot since its foundations. But um, as we are becoming more woke, as there is more internet and connectivity. That's where you are, from, I think. I'll just throw that out. Because in New Mexico, it's predominantly Hispanic. And it's not built around that. Sorry, keep going. Back to what America. Back to what Kathleen was saying. Back to Kathleen. Good. I forgot. But anyway, um, what I was gonna say is, and um, basically, there's just a balance that you have to to try to attain. Especially like as Jim was saying, you don't want to pull your reader out of the story necessarily to make them grab a dictionary. Right. But sometimes in these in these cult I will call them cultural exchange stories, if you want to think about it that way, um, there will be terms used that you don't know the meaning of. But the author still has to be able to relay that in a way that does not take the reader out of the story. Teach your reader, don't exclude your reader. Right. Brad, go ahead and then Okay, real quick, uh, just to throw out my point, because we did get kind of hard, so I'm going to bring it back to, uh, you know, kind of some word choice. One of my favorites for word choice is take the sentence, uh, your character puts her name down, uh, walked across, or, walk, you know, walked across the bar. Uh, is it that they walked across? Did they saunter across? Did they rush across? Uh, and when you figure that out and you have the million of choices, it is the most beautiful way, I think, of and probably the easiest one to uh, kind of put forth what exactly word choice means. Because if he saunters across, if they, you know, seductively slide across, um, you know, any of these different ways, it changes the entire meaning of that one tiny little sentence, which is that your character walked across the bar. So real quick, that's just a great way of doing it. And then I don't know if this is going to be the final thought, but I just had to throw out there, Darmok and Jalad, Nagra. Temba, his arms wide. <laughs> there you go. Second to last thought. Go for it. Down to last thought. Uh, I also wanted to point out, since my big sticker is always character, whether your your character saunters across the bar or minces across the bar tells you a lot about who they are. Mm-hmm. And on that note, tune in next week for yet another interesting topic in the writing industry. Please like us, share us, and leave us reviews on whatever platform you listen to this to. Have a great week writing, and tune in next week for yet one more topic. (laughs) One more topic. The new theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her.